Now everybody said hotel, motel, holiday. Holiday Inn, we went to the hotel, motel, holiday. I remember that. I remember that. I saw. So, you know where I first heard that song was in... Wait, wait, which one? Are you referring to the uh, the original Sugar, the Sugar Hill uh, gang song or the, the Pitbull song that sampled it? The Pitbull. The Pitbull uh, song? Yeah. So, I hadn't heard the Sugar Hill gang one. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that. I heard the Pitbull one, and it was in Savannah. You haven't heard Rappers was, Delight? And Rappers Pit, Delight? And but. Pitbull was kind of new. Like, I, didn't, I hadn't heard of him yet or whatever. And so, yeah, yeah. I was going down to the basement of Club One... In Savannah, and they had the music video playing like on a projection screen on the wall, and I thought it was like a local artist. Like it was so cheesy. <laughs> I thought that was like some local artist, like some kid. That's that, funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, you know, that's the kind of thing they do. They'll put like local rappers on, you know. Sure. So well, yeah. But wait, you you've never heard Sugar Hill Gang before? The uh, uh, rappers delight. I've heard rappers delight, but I hadn't heard them you know, singing it, about it, a Holiday Inn. Yeah, you know the thing is, it's a long ass song, and it's kind of hard to remember. Like when you, when it, like I can remember it because, like, of course, I'm the fucking rap critic. But like, uh, I was gonna say, like, you have a little bit more of the expertise <laughs> in that. Area. Yeah, because like, there's so much in there. Because it's like, I think you know how like songs that people because it's a big song and everyone has like sampled from it before. Like the first thing you thought of like was the Pitbull song, right? Right. You know? And so like when you originally like, if I'd said rappers delight, like the first thing you probably think of is like what. Well, Hip hop, dude. Yeah, like, yeah, that which one. doesn't even the sound ketchup, anything. The, the one that the ketchup song sampled. The yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, which doesn't sound anything like lyric. Which I just said, which doesn't sound anything like the fucking verse in there about fucking go. Yeah, have you ever been over to a friend's house to eat and the food just ain't no good? And, okay, you know, the, I need to. The peas are weird and the chicken tastes like wood. Like, okay, I got, I got to look this up and listen to the whole song. I did not realize it was like a hip hop bohemian rhapsody. Yeah, That's it truly awesome. is. It's like all the genres that hip hop would would encompass into one thing. It's like abstract, weird storytelling, brag raps, you know, a, a little bit of misogyny in there. Uh, <laughs> you know, like all of it is there. Oh, stealing other people's raps that that happened. Uh, <laughs> there's this whole thing where we're like um, Grandmaster was it Grandmaster Kaz. Yeah, had his like rhyme stolen by uh, uh, one of the Big Bank Hank, one of the rappers in the group. It's so funny because literally like so uh, Grandmaster Kaz, one of his name was like Casanova Fly. And Big Bang Hank starts his verse by spelling out Casanova Fly's name. And that we know that's not his rap name, so like you know he ripped that off from him. Like that's he didn't so even try. Weird. That's like it's like it's like <laughs> yeah. leaving it's like copying one of those uh copying one of those like, like essays off the internet and then leaving the website URL yeah, like cheaters.com. <laughs> Right, because uh, he says I'm the C A S A, the N O V A, and, and the no, S you're not F-L-Y. though. You're not. Yeah, it's like <laughs> we we literally know your name is Big Bang Hank. That's what you said. Oh my god, that's so funny. Wow. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's get into this movie. That's that's enough hip hop talk for now. Let's get into today's movie. Uh, four rooms, directed by uh, four different directors. Uh, one of whom is Quentin Tarantino. I figured since we were doing the Grindhouse kick, which was uh him and Rodriguez. You know, uh, while we're on it, I figured we hit the other uh, movie that I knew 
where it was Quentin and Rodriguez and two other uh, directors that I, I don't think time remembers as well. Like, I think these were all, like, indie darling guys at the time. Yeah. And I think, like, these two were the ones that kind of stuck around the most. But I wanted to look at it specifically because of my relationship with the movie. I remember this being one of those uh, on late night, uh, uh, like, around the time of Skinamax, you know what I mean? When you're, like, a 12-year-old kid and you shouldn't yeah. be watching this shit. But, like... You know, like, it, it, like so it's like, this would come on maybe at, like, 11.30. You know, like, this comes on, and then, like, the, the actual, you know, shit that's made for the channel. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and if anyone here has seen just the first five minutes, you know why. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I remember, like, that's my specific experience with this movie. Having it be like this, oh, look, here's this R-rated movie coming on late at night. And, uh, oh, hey, Quentin Tarantino is involved in it? Yeah, sure, I'll watch it. You know what I mean? It was that sort of feel for me. Have you ever heard of this movie I before? had never heard of it. I don't think I <laughs> – I definitely had never seen it before. I don't think I ever saw bits of it. I don't think I ever heard of it. I mean, it, I I had no idea about this movie at all. So uh, going into it, what what did you, what did you what are your thoughts? <laughs> I enjoyed it. I can definitely see – why it was not critically successful. I can definitely see why a lot of people did not like it. Um, definitely had flaws, especially the first segment. I feel like the first segment was very, very flawed, and the second segment yeah. was just kind of dull and annoying. Yeah, but, oh, and it, it was so clear that like the segments that were directed by the you know the directors that we're going to end up remembering. Yeah, like the the I really enjoyed the last two segments. Yes, and I with actually Rodriguez. I think the, I think Rodriguez was the best one. Honestly, yeah, that was really good. I enjoyed the the last two segments and I also enjoyed the first one even though it was really dumb and I but I enjoyed that in a like campy fun kind of way the only sure. the only we'll, segment we'll that I the, yeah the only segment I didn't really enjoy was the second one I just yeah, the found second it one was so fell flat it, yeah it felt to me like the kind of stuff that like when I was in undergrad that like undergraduate students would write to be edgy right um, that's so what it feels like or, or maybe like uh, uh, what what a '70s version of edgy is? You know what I'm trying to say? Where it's just like, oh, we need to write this salacious scene, and it's about this guy. Who's... It did feel really dated. It felt like, um, yeah. yeah, it felt kind of more like something from the '70s or '80s. But so I gotta tell you something before I forget. I read the original screenplay for mm. Four Rooms. Um, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Um, yeah, so I found I, I was not expecting to find this. Um, there's the Internet Movie or Internet Movie Screenplay Database. It's imsdb.com, and they have the entire script for Four Rooms. So I read it, and it's really interesting because the third the third segment, the Robert Rodriguez segment, which is most people agree the best is changed the least from the script. It is almost like just second for second oh. identical to the script. The Tarantino one is, the last one is almost entirely similar. There's like one or two things that you can tell got improved. The first and second segments, the first segment especially is changed quite a bit. Um, and the second segment is changed quite a bit from the original script. And then also the frame story. So like, uh, the character Betty, the the concierge, the boss that's played by um, 
uh, ba ba ba. What's her face? D list. Kathy Griffin. That's played yeah. by <laughs> Life on the. I'm not trying to insult Kathy, Kathy Griffin. It's like, just, it was so I random, read, like Kathy Griffin. No, I, well, she was in because she was in Pulp Fiction. Do you remember she had that little bit? Oh. And I guess he liked her. Um, I'm not trying to insult Kathy D, Kathy Griffin. I read her her book was called Life on the D list. Um, no, yeah, she has a voice like that. <laughs> yeah, but so her character actually in the original screenplay was a lot more present, like, at the beginning. And the main difference with yeah, the frame Yeah, it did feel kind of like, wait, she kind of came out of nowhere at the end for well, someone who is, like, such a, like, relative, like, she's a face, you know? Yeah, the you beginning. Like, it would be weird that they, yeah, don't include her until at the end there. Well, and it's, it's interesting because the beginning of the screenplay is basically just a shitload of exposition that... It was all stuff that when I was watching the movie, I was like, wait a second, what's that? What's that? What's happening there? What's going on? And then by the end of the movie, I just kind of figured it out. But in the original screenplay, it's very like laid out where Ted has this long conversation with the old concierge. And then the old concierge has a conversation with Betty. And then Ted has a conversation with Betty. And they're all just explaining it's New Year's Eve. And I'm taking care of the hotel and Betty's going to a party and this and that. And the other thing, like, it's all very, very explained and it's not really necessary. So it wasn't a loss, but I did think it was interesting to just see it spelled out. So, yeah, if anybody's interested in reading the script, I love reading screenplays. I, I it, But it's it's I am sdb.com Internet Movie Screenplay Database slash script slash four dash rooms dot HTML. Right. You, you like reading scripts? I, I like listening to commentaries. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know. person who just like started interacting with the internet. Like, <laughs> You know what is a big pet peeve? Okay, those slashes and URLs. Those are uh, forward slashes. They're not right. backslashes. People keep calling them backslashes. It's not uh, a backslash. Drives me absolutely fucking nuts when people call that a backslash. Anyway. To the movie, um, so yeah, oh, yeah, basically, I had uh, I uh, I had zero knowledge of this movie before you said we were doing it, and then I watched it back to back twice, and then I read the screenplay, and and I also looked up a little bit of information. I found that because at first I saw something that said it's based on the adult stories of Roald Dahl. And I was like, oh my god, like were all of these Roald Dahl stories? Because if so, fuck Roald Dahl. Um, he's <laughs> fucking. Wait. Roald Dahl was a vicious anti-Semite. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Which actually makes it, it makes me. Oh, wait, I'm confusing with Shel Silverstein. No, no. Shel Silverstein's (laughs) problematic, but he's he's Uncle Shelly. No, but but Roald Dahl, Roald Dahl was like, literally, he literally said, I'm an anti-Semite. I hate Jews. Like, he had, yeah, this was not like anything coded. Um, but, but you know what? The two best movies ever made of his work starred Jews. Uh, so that, that makes me happy because I like to think about his, his racist ass rolling in the grave, being mad that Gene Wilder and Mara Wilson were the best, (laughs) the best stars of the best movies based on his work. Um, suck it, James and the giant peach. (laughs) Suck it, you little clay puppet. (laughs) Uh, bad fucking movie but anyway let's get to this one uh, Gene Wilder is a better actor than a claymation puppet there I said it <laughs> anyway oh sorry from the review of new podcast 
<laughs> Before we started, I just wanted to do the do the quick ad for for what we do. Uh, go for it. Go for it. Review a new. This is the review a new podcast. Uh, if you want to support what we do, uh, you can always uh, support us on Patreon. Patreon.com/slash/rapcritic, where you can, in addition to getting exclusive episodes of the podcast, also get new episodes of Rap Critic and get to join the Rap Critic Discord, chat with me and fellow fans, uh, get to play games and uh, uh, watch movies with us and stuff like that. Sometimes movies that we end up watching on this here podcast. Um, as well, I have a new tier, the $5 tier, where if you support that ongoing, uh, you get to, uh, get your opinion in on the song that I'll be reviewing, uh, for, for, for the next episode. So, um, there are actually some, uh, there was the first dude who put in a very good comment that I'm going to be reading on the next episode. So get with it, act like you want it. Um, and that's if you want to do ongoing support. So Patreon's ongoing support. And if you only want to do one-time donations, which is where you can also get in your requests, uh, you can go to Kofi.com slash Rap Critic. That's where you can get your uh, movie request or album stream request or uh, uh, music video song request. Uh, if you want album requests, that's uh, that's the one where you got to go over to Kofi.com slash going off because that's the one where I be splitting the pay with uh, uh, my, my, my homie uh, uh, Muse. So get with it, act like you want it, and uh, let's get back to the movie. So, um, yeah, yeah, New Year's. Uh, oh, that's my first note. Uh, New Year's movie. Uh, that uh, that I just realized, like you know, lots of movies are about you know Christmas, sometimes about Thanksgiving, right? But yeah, not a lot about New Year's. Not so a whole like, lot. Okay. There, there's there's a horror movie that I watched, oh. and I can't remember what it's called, but it's set on New Year's Eve, and it's like the reunion or something, and it's like four girls who, well, women who went to high school together. Uh, and they all get together for a little very quiet house party on New Year's Eve. And it's 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 a really actually a really good thriller. Now I need to figure out what that's called. Or is, is, is it called New Year's Evil? I Hold swear on. to God, if it's called New Year's Evil. What is it called? I think it's on Hulu. Um, if it's not called New Year's Evil. I'm going to be. It's definitely not called New Year's Evil. <laughs> um, but while I'm looking for that. What I wanted to to say was that it turns out because I actually thought the first segment was based on a Roald Dahl story because it had some of his weird thing. Like if you ever read The Witches, like that's a weird, it's a weird thing. And I thought the first segment was maybe based on Roald Dahl, but it is. It's not. Um, only the last segment has any connection to Roald Dahl, and that's in a pretty meta way because it's a universe where the story is something that the characters are familiar with. I I found the 35 best New Year's movies uh to watch. That's I didn't realize apparently there were there were 35. Well, I can't remember what this thriller is called, but it's if you if you're scrolling around on Hulu and you see something about four friends getting together on New Year's Eve and it's like a a thriller, it's good. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah, the, right it's set in a grand old crumbling hotel on New Year's Eve. Yeah, with uh, starring Tim Roth, who I kept confusing for Alan Cummings. You know, you know him? They kind of look similar. They, they're both, right? they, they both are like kind of small and slightly built. And they have, they both have like very kind of Findly, lean yeah. oval faces. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know who told him. I guess just having four different directors is kind of hard to keep track of because he is the most like inconsistent, but just like overly cartoonish, like straight out of the fucking Jim Carrey school of acting. This guy. Yeah, his characterization, he literally does seem like a cartoon. And it's funny because, you know, we get a cartoon version of him over opening credits. It's like that last gasp of doing the old fashioned credits at the beginning of the movie. 
and right, right. um and we get this like long cartoon sequence with the little cartoon version and the first thing like literally the first time we hear him speak he's like did you ever meet ten of the old yeah, stars in this little squeaky voice and it sounds like like he's doing like tiny tim yeah in fact i thought like for some reason my brain thought like that he didn't speak at all. Like, because it feels like a type, the way he's so overly animated, this feels like he's, a silent He does, yeah. He's know? very, like, doing a Charlie Chaplin thing. And actually, there was a review that I read that pointed that out, that he, when he is silent and he's doing these very, like, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton-esque, like, physical things, he's really funny. But then when he yeah. speaks, it's like... He doesn't. Just didn't give him good enough dialogue well, to match the uh, the wackiness and outlandishness. You know? And also, like the character is weird because on the one hand, he seems like this very sort of innocent, childlike, you know, almost like a non-human creature. He's just so innocent and and in that way. And yeah, then, like, like and a, then like some a of his Huey dialogue. And then some of his dialogue is like kind of goes with that and some some of his dialogue makes him seem like a real asshole and like yeah and in a way that doesn't like it doesn't feel like oh this character has another side to him it feels like this character is inconsistently written yeah yeah like when he's like threatening to kill the children in the third it's like it just doesn't like, oh, he's that guy. Like, right. Yeah. And I don't say and I'm not saying that to be like, so Robert Rodriguez did a bad job with that. It's just there should have been more oversight with how the character was characterized between the segments. Yeah. So um, going into the first segment, starting off with fucking Madonna of all people. Yeah. So we get so it's witches and Madonna is a very, very sexy S&M witch in a skin-tight latex black dress. And refers to one woman as possibly her kid? No, okay, no, 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 oh, okay. All right, so here's the thing. So I read the screenplay. (laughs) I read the screenplay. The woman who wrote and directed the first segment, Alison Anders, she gets, in a movie made with Quentin Tarantino, Alison Anders gets the Horny on Main Award. Yeah, I'm All like right. watching this movie like, is no. this Dude, going where no. I think it's going? Dude, you have no idea. You have <laughs> no idea because, no, 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 let me tell you. I read the screenplay. They they pulled her back so hard. The, her segment oh, of the wow. screenplay, she wrote with one hand, okay? Uh, like, it is, <laughs> I will, I am telling you that, you know, if you think Quentin Tarantino had too many feet in in fucking death car or whatever it was called <laughs> death car for cutie or whatever the fuck that <laughs> if you think there was too much feet in that like i would say maybe half of the dialogue in the original screenplay for this first segment is given over to uh madonna's character and her younger lover kiva is her her daughter and their mommy brat snm dynamic yeah, it is like half of the dialogue, oh, and like man. there's a segment where Kiva is like pouting about something, and then she's like, like is like I'll do that thing you like with the schoolgirl outfit and the whipped cream is like sucking oh, on her man. fingers. It's like it is. It, it's like a porno. It is. Oh, oh my god. It is. <laughs> I am. I am telling you. Like they cut out so much, and it actually like. Yeah, like there's a huge amount of focus 
given over to Elspeth. That's Madonna's character to Elspeth and Kiva. It is like, because, okay, so here's the thing that's, Okay, I think that the I think they really helped her out with the cuts here because so in the movie, Madonna shows up with her bratty punk girlfriend and is like, "You listen to me, I, looking you know, so Gen X." <laughs> and and Kiva is like, "You're not my mother." And Elspeth says, "Yes, I am because yeah, it's I, well because I, it's a it's a hotel in the early '90s and you don't necessarily want to let the clerk know you're a lesbian." Right. Oh, I see. And 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 that's like, you know, that's one of those jokes that has pain behind it, because for a very long time, like gay couples would very often, if there was it, or any kind of an age difference between them, would present themselves as mother, daughter or father, son, and sometimes would even adopt each other because before marriage equality, that was the only way, like if you want to make, like if you're, you know, a guy in your 60s and you've got a boyfriend who's in his 40s and you want to make sure he's taken care of after you die, like the only way to do that was to adopt him. So, yeah. So anyway, but... <laughs> but Learned you know the, the review a new podcast. <laughs> yeah, but the main thing here is Elspeth not wanting the clerk to know her business, and yeah. she, um, and she, so she, you know, Kiva says, "You're not my mother." She says, "Yes, I am." And then Kiva goes, you know, because Kiva is a little brat trying to get attention and stir up trouble, and she says, "Then why are we sleeping together?" And in the movie, it just freezes with Tim Roth kind of going her and a big question mark, uh, and it's yeah. funny. It's a really funny button. It's a good punchline. In the script, Elspeth, yes, I am. Kiva, then why are we sleeping together? Ten looks on uneasily as the relationship at the relationship that is beginning to unfold here. Elspeth checks her reaction and becomes self-conscious at his scrutiny. Elspeth, well, I didn't mean it literally. I I happen to be the only one who cares about you. But her wild child looks off, bored. Elspeth turns to Ted, flustered. Elspeth, please take us to our room. Tells yeah, it, it's it's like really like weird and awkward and feels very like first drafty and cringy and like the the Elspeth trying to like explain it's just it's weird and then it gets like and it's like again now I'm not here to kink shame if you've got like a you know like a brat kink and you're sure. you're in a DS dynamic that's fine but. It's like half of this segment is given over yeah. to this horniness. Okay, and like, and uh, the first and second segment as well, as we'll get into in a second. Um, but uh, so basically, the, yeah, the segment basically builds up to them uh, trying to bring this woman back to life. This, this old uh, witch who was who was a virgin and well, killed okay. by someone. This is where it really was like very weird to me, and this was where I really thought like, oh, this has to be related to, this has to be based on a Roald Dahl story. It's just very strange. And this is again, like the screenplay has stuff that's like pretty offensive that it's it just, just culturally appropriative kind of stereotyping stuff that it's good they cut. But, um, but one thing, and now, okay, like I'm not a pagan or anything, but I have friends who are, and I do know that with some people it's a practice where they sort of make a deity of like a dead celebrity or sometimes even a living celebrity, but it's not so much about the person. It's about like the icon or the the like image they projected, you know, so that is a thing. But they they refer to this woman who died 40 years ago. And by the way, all of the women look like 
no older than 50. So they were all children, if born at all, when this woman died. Right. And then right. in the screenplay, and I think they cut this out, and this was a little exposition that maybe could have stayed in. In the screenplay, they say that the previous coven was also trying to resurrect her, and then they've sort of so okay, so I think they bring that up in the movie. Oh, do they? Okay, I fr- so basically the this woman Diana, who they referred to as their goddess, and that's what I was getting at. Like that doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me because it's like I've never heard of a pagan group that like takes an actual person who's just like a person they know and is like you're our goddess. Like maybe that's a thing. Again, I don't know. I'm not a pagan, but I, it's not something I've ever heard of. So. They say their goddess Diana, who was a virgin, and there's kind of some weird, slightly sex shamey jokes about how she was like really kinky and was like, yeah, doing- see, I didn't get that. It was like, it was saying that she was like a virgin, but then it shows like, oh, look, this is a picture of her from the past, and it's like a Harry Potter moving picture thing that happens. And it was like, and- wait. Well, then which was it? Well, I think it's... Or is it one of those, like, oh, virgin with a man? Like, is that sort of Well, they're saying, yeah, I mean, they're basically saying that anything other than a penis and a vagina doesn't count as not being a virgin. So she had lots of lesbian sex and also non-penetrative sex with men, but she was still technically a virgin when she got married. So this woman, Diana, is a virgin, technically, I guess, by a Southern Baptist definition Um, (laughs) Mary is a man comes to the honeymoon suite at this hotel and on her wedding night a jealous witch turns her into stone and turns her husband into a goldfish and um, I think they said a pink fish and he turns her husband into a fish and so for the last 40 years this coven has been trying to resurrect her every New Year's Eve uh, they've been trying to do a spell to resurrect her. And and yeah, like the sex stuff here already, it comes off weird. Not only just the horniness, but like at one point somebody refers to Diana as she was a virgin. She wasn't a whore. And it's just like, and, and part of it, it's like, you know, I was a little kid in the 90s. I wasn't around for what exactly the sexual mores are. But I do remember and know from TV and stuff that things were different but it just does feel weird for all these like feminist like the, these like feminist witches to be like talking about women who have sex or whores or like it, yeah. that it just felt weird um what i did appreciate is that all the witches are very different from each other and so you've got madonna's like this latex oh sure yeah this latex dom mommy and like very gothy looking and very like fetish gear and then you have one who is played by, I cannot remember the actress's name. She played um, uh, Valerie Solanas in I Shot Andy Warhol, and she's fantastic. And she plays in the screenplay. It turns out this character, I think, is supposed to be Native American, and the characterization's kind of, uh, uh, I didn't get a sense of that in the movie that she was supposed to be Native American. Um, she's... Just she's like she's like kind of a hippie and she's barefoot and she's riding yeah, a broom. Yeah, oh that chick and she has the broom. The, the yeah, she's got the, a broom. The, the rainbow broom. She seems yeah. kind of like she's stoned. <laughs> like she's got kind of a, a Cheech and Chong vibe going on. So yeah. there's the the latex mommy, the hippie, uh, the sexy farm girl midwife who is uh, turns out one of the very important characters. The who leader has the cherries in her hair. Yeah, the leader of them who is called Athena. And she's played by a woman who I would have sworn was Isabella Rossellini. It's not Isabella Rossellini, but she looks and sounds exactly like Isabella Rossellini. And then 
Uh, and then there's this like weird Southern Belle character who I found very disturbing. I, I can't put my finger on why I found her very disturbing. And she's called Jezebel. And at one point she says something like about penises like, oh, honey, didn't your mama never teach you not to put them dirty things in your mouth? But then also her name's Jezebel. I don't know. She was she was yeah. weird, and I found her upsetting. Um, yeah, and, and she has a cat, and the cat was cute. Yeah, and, and so, but basically, what this all leads up to is like they 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 kind of collected all of these things from men, like the thigh, uh, the sweat from men's thighs, and oh, and not all not all stuff. men, because the first item. So they have five bodily fluids they're supposed to collect, and the first one is milk from a mother's sweet titty. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, well, I was just saying, when they finally get to uh, what the cherry girl is supposed to bring, she goes like, oh, you know, I accidentally swallowed instead of, like, you know, spitting it out into a cup or something. Yeah. Uh, oh, we have to, like, we have to, we have to set the scene here a little bit. This is, it's in the honeymoon suite. There's a giant bathtub in the middle of the room that they're yeah, using a as a cauldron. Yeah. And it is so cheesy. It is so cheesy. When every witch comes up to put her thing in the cauldron, she's, like, speaking in verse. Yeah, and, they're all going like and like ah, rhyming, and so when the girl like and they, oh yeah, they're all doing this like eerie like these ah, weird sighs, yeah, ah. yeah. I think it is described as like eerie moaning in the screenplay, which is very accurate to what happens. But they're all coming up and rhyming, and they put in milk, f- sweat from five men's thighs, a year's worth of tears, uh, a virgin's blood, which Madonna's character has. And then the and then the last one is supposed to bring semen from her bill, but alas, she was hot, so hot that she swallowed. So she like delivers because she said some. She says something like the the directions I did not follow or something. She makes it rhyme yeah. and all, yeah, but yeah. somehow it sneaks up on all the other witches and they all start screaming and crying and yeah. telling her you have to get semen, you have to get semen in one hour. And then of course Ted pops in in his little uniform. Yeah, yeah, and they okay so. You know, they're like, hey, we want to get this from you or, or do this for this girl because she really likes, uh, she wants to be with the man or something. That no, they don't even, they spring it on him because they just say, you need to make her, and this is like, again, it's yeah, weird. Yeah, make her happy. This character, and this is where Ted, Ted, Tim Roth's character really just, his characterization is not strong or consistent because he, like they... The, you know, you've got this topless woman sitting there and all these right, like yeah, topless yeah. women and they say, you need to make her smile. And so he starts like making funny faces and pulling on his ears and making weird noises. And then he says, come on, I got to make you smile. And then she explains. Oh, and also, so I, we didn't even really say that much about the intro. The very top is the old bellboy is giving him a pep talk and explaining how this oh, hotel yeah. was like this great, you know, palace that catered to movie stars. And now it's, it's downhill and it's on his last legs. And he, and he gives him his tips. And one of the things he says, stay away from, he says, avoid the night clerk kids and movie stars and, and mm. keep your dick in your pants. Yeah. Yeah. So he, so Ted is like, no, no, no. I was told, I was told not to have, not to have sex with the clientele. Right, right. And, you know, she tries to go in for a kiss and he does the thing, you know, where he goes like moves back really like quickly, you know, and so slinks around like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. 
But then she fucking hypnotizes she him. She hypnotizes him, and it's a really, it's like, okay, we had Jurassic Park in the 90s, so this was, like, I think intentionally cheesy. It was supposed to probably be kind of a throwback to, like, Bewitched or something because maybe she it, it's like this very cheesy like I beam and animation yeah, you see like alien ships or something like that like floating around and yeah. it's just like and I guess he uh, she uh, she you know roofie hypnotized him into wanting to do it um, and then yeah they do it and then it does it shows these like hearts that make a heart in this way that's so like oh is it isn't this quite the romp and I'm just like ah. I don't know. Maybe this is cool, like in the fifties. Like, but I'm just thinking too much about this now. You know? Yeah, um, I I think that. Well, I mean, I think that it's very much a. I think it's intentionally cheesy. It's also one of those things where you know, if we go back to our original theme and purpose, our our mission statement, if you will, of examining things from a modern sure. lens. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's an you know, there's magic involved. But essentially, she's putting undue influence on a man who has said he does not want to have sex with her, and she is using an an artificial power to make him want to have sex with her. She basically magically roofies him. And, yeah. you know, I like to think in 2020, we've gotten past the it's somehow funny when a woman sexually assaults a man. Right, it's, right. You know, so it's like that is, you know, it's it's very much like a throwback thing of the like, Whoa, I'm a G lady. That doesn't normally happen. Whoa, look at that. You know, like, yeah. yeah. The reverse? What? It's only supposed to be men who are horn dogs. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Right. So she, yeah. So so she, she, I believe there's a lot of like softcore porn kind of cuts and and selective framing and stuff. But I think what happens is that they have sex in the tub so that he just comes directly in the tub. Yeah, and then they finally, uh, you know, get through with their thing. Uh, they, they do their whole ritual. And who is the woman that comes out? I, I thought it was Anna Nicole Smith or something. I was like, wait, who is that? Are oh, no, that's that that's Diana. That's the goddess. Yeah. That Yeah, but who, like, who is the actress playing her? Like, who, was I supposed to know? Oh, uh, hold on. Four Rooms cast. Um, I don't think she's anybody really... Um, oh, but you're right. She does show up at, at Amanda Decadene. She does show up earlier. Yeah, in that yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it's like, so we've been seeing like just random boobies like all throughout this, uh, Lots <laughs> you of know, uh, this thing. But then at the end, the redhead chick takes off her shirt and then she has tape over her nipples. And I was just like, what? Did we well, run out of booby time on the budget? <laughs> I think that was just because she's, again, it's the S&M thing. And she's, because she's, Kiva oh, sure. is not a witch. Kiva is just Elspeth's girlfriend that she's dragged along. And but she's just. just yeah, it just kind of specifically seemed like, oh, we can only show boobs for like four minutes. I don't think that was for censorship purposes. Rating, I think you know? that was, I think that was because these other women are not going to take their tops off at all unless they're in this private hotel room. Whereas I think the implication of the, of the nipple tape is that Kiva takes her shirt off at like clubs and stuff and also I'm pretty sure she's wearing a mesh shirt over it so I don't think that was about censorship I think that's just Kiva was as a character wearing uh, tape on her nipples um, uh, you know I guess and, you don't know as many goths as I do <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, uh, yeah no I'm not as cool as you <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think I, I people who smoke cigarettes in high school <laughs> wear the same clothes uh, just not conformists <laughs> Just not not conformist. Uh, um, no, 
but we get to the we get to the next one, which is I mean, speaking of violating consent, this is very interesting. Like, okay, so he he gets called to um he gets called by these frat frat bro looking dudes that are like, oh man, which room is it? Uh, I thought we were on the fifth floor. No, it's 404. I thought it was 409. Wait, wait, how is it 404 if we're on the fifth floor? Uh, I don't know, just call them. And so like, you know, they're like, there's a party happening in the background. The music that's playing is YMCA by the Village People. And I was like, wait, what yeah. Oh, sorry. Place? I just wanted like, to, I wanted oh, to say yeah, one more thing real quick about the, the first segment, because yeah. in the screenplay, at the, 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 they do their ritual and then they're like, okay, it didn't work. We, we didn't do it right this year. We'll try again next year. And they, and that's, and, and so it just, uh. you know, the, it doesn't seem to work. And then at the very end of the movie, after the Tarantino segment, there's like this extended denouement of Ted le- leaving and all this stuff. And, and Diana is like, wandering around the hotel in a towel going, have you seen my husband? Is he in the goldfish pond? What's going on? So I I thought it was probably a good decision that they were like, nope, let's just wrap this up. Let's just, let's, let's not do that. Let's just wrap this up because the ending of this movie, I think is very strong. And I think if they had dragged it out the way it is in the screenplay, it would have been a lot weaker. So anyway, I'm sorry, go on frat boys and they want ice. So yeah, yeah, they're ordering it and they're listening to YMCA by the Village People, and I was thinking like maybe if it was like the seventies and this song had just come out, but but nineteen ninety five. No, that was like no, that was like a thing because um like was that song just had the longevity like that. Well, for parties because you got the dance. It's like oh sure okay, and like, when I, I get like you. in the nineties you got the YMCA yeah, the Macarena oh, the Cha Cha Slide you know I'm just forgetting these communal dances we used to have yeah <laughs> like like I don't think oh, a lot I of people would, in a different time <laughs> yeah like I don't think a lot of people would be like sitting and listening to the YMCA randomly but at a party it's definitely one of those like anything that has like easy to remember specific dance moves. Yeah, you know, I mainly like I mainly remember hearing that song if I was at a roller rink. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's oh, yeah, how yeah, I remember good. hearing that song. Well, and like, roller oh, rinks are kind of a '70s throwback, anyway. Yeah, that's true. Like now that I'm saying it, but like, yeah, me and my friends used to go to the roller rink in the mid 2000s. I still remember. Yeah, they were still around at that point. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they're still around to some capacity in you know small cities with people who need something to do. Um, but yeah, like I remember specifically going to those and. Um, you know, in the mid 2000s when it was like, I guess still the novelty was still there. And like, especially because they would have arcade games, right? And, you know, pizza parties, hanging out with friends, you know? And so you could skate and, you know, skate for a while, play play some of the games and then skate for a while. And then, uh, yeah, and they would always have the little, um, you know, the things in between where you do the the fucking chicken dance and all that type of shit. Remember that? We would just be like, Oh yeah, here's a DJ and you skate around for about 30 minutes and then there's a special time where we just tell you to do something for a little while. <laughs> like that that feels so weird to describe now cuz it's like yeah, I don't I don't think anyone would like do people do skating? Uh, is that still a thing? Yeah. Roller rinks for people no, going around in a circle? It's it's still a thing. Like I I know so I know the ice skating because, you know, we got the ice skating rink uh, just down the road and ice skating is still definitely a thing in the winter. But I'm pretty sure they do roller skating 
also like i'm pretty sure maybe i'm just thinking just because you know i I, i'm an adult and i'm not around like teens. yeah i don't know because yeah i I think think it is because i think i think my friend was gonna take their kid skating no i'm pretty sure like my brain yeah because my brain goes like oh if you're going there you're going there for you know partially the video games like my teenage you know brain is thinking that and yeah well like when i was a kid video games at home so it's kind of not like half a moot point at this point you know what i mean like yeah no like when i was a kid we went when i was a kid i had this babysitter who did like a summer like a quote-unquote summer camp out of her house out of her house and she would take us to uh, the skating rink and we used to go to the skating rink this one skating rink that was kind of like old fashioned and I loved that one it was like really it was like kind of low lit and it was really chill and they played like classic rock and they had like the games you could get like the games and the prizes and stuff and um, and that was really fun and then she switched to this like newer trendier skating rink that was like all like rollerblades and bright light and loud music and really overstimulating and I didn't like it as much. Mm, uh, oh, oh but yeah getting back to the uh, Oh yeah so I don't know how we got on roller rinks. Yeah, oh like, YMCA. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah cuz okay so yeah yeah the in they're playing that music in the background it just especially threw me off it was just like I guess just think of like two frat dudes like that. It just well, it's a New Year's party, you know. Yeah, 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 that that is true. New Year's party, yeah, that's true. Um, so they're asking uh to bring up some ice, and he goes like, oh, you know, four four oh four, you know, headed right your way. Um, doing all the weird gesticulations that he's doing along the way, and he ends up going to the wrong room because they said the wrong room, and he um, you know, uh, knocks on the door and opens up and says like, oh, room service. And the guy, like, it's a dark room, and no, there's no music playing. And in fact, yeah, before he leaves, uh, when he's headed to the room, he goes, like, you know, he hears the music over over the phone, and he goes, like, ooh, disco. And so, like, I, I'm assuming he's thinking, like, oh, hey, I'm going to go in and, like, get to hang out with a couple of cool cats, you know? So he walks in. It's completely dark except for some red lighting. Um, and he, oh, yeah, he ashes out one of his cigarettes into the ice bucket. I noticed that as well. And I was like, hey, asshole. Um mm. But uh, he goes in there, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's completely dark, and he, you hear someone say, like, oh, you chose the wrong time, you know, to come in, Theodore, and, like, open and turns on the light, and it's this guy, you know, with a, uh, with this long-barreled gun uh, to, to the bellhop's face with his wife uh, tied up and bound and gagged to a chair. And it's just like, oh, shit, where is this going? And then he, you know, knocks him out uh, with the gun, and then he wakes wakes up and comes to, and it's like, oh, you know we're in this situation now, you know, and, and I need you to tell me, you know, did you fuck my wife? I want you to be honest with me. Did you fuck my wife? And it's such a contrived, awkward scene where it's so like, like making a hay of a scene where there really is no tension to be had there. Right. Cause the whole thing is like, Oh, did you fuck my wife? But it's like, no, I didn't. I'm not, I don't know who you are. Like one of those, like this could be easily resolved by someone just listening, but it's just like, no, oh, you fucking my wife, and I'm I'm a jealous man, and I'm very mad about someone fucking my wife, and so I'm jealous. I'm gonna, blah, 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 I'm getting angry, but then I'm gonna go to the bathroom and get my pills and give you enough time to talk for two or three minutes. Uh, you know, well, like this, the, so this this scene was. I think the weakest because the first one had a lot of problems, but at least it was funny. Um, but this scene was like just kind of a drag. And I think after having watched it twice and read the screenplay, 
I think that the idea is that this is kind of a game for them. Like that it's like, yeah. it's kind of like who's afraid of Virginia Wolf, but more boring where like, it's not exactly mm-hmm. like it's, it is definitely not a safe, sane and consensual scene that has been planned right. out with safe words yes, and aftercare, but yeah. it's, it's <laughs> basically, it's, it's what happens when kinky people are not like adequately trained in how to safely express their kinks. And so they're just right. kind of winging it. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that was just like throwing me off. And, 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 but, and it was to that way where it felt like it was kind of like the film itself was shaming. You know what I'm saying? Like this, like, Oh, how freaky for them to do a cuckold fantasy is like, well, the real problem is that they're pushing this person who is not like aware of what's right, happening. Involving somebody right? like, without his consent in, yeah. in their sex games. And also like waving a gun at him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, what? and I was thinking, Oh, maybe they had planned for someone, but they didn't know uh, like who it was going to be. Cause they're like, Oh, you know, they maybe they called some service. They're like, Oh, just making anybody dress up as a bubble or something like that. But then later on, when it's like the next person, it seems like they're just doing this to whoever. Like, yeah, because the well, bottom bum is supposed the, to be like, "Hey, Theodore, you're here now." Like as he leaves, he's just like, "Oh well, shit!" And it's like, weird because the the name Theodore is significant, and in the screenplay, it says that the guy who goes in after is actually named Theodore, and when he is the the guy from the party calling for ice initially is referred to in the screenplay as the real Theodore. Um, and Ted makes a big deal out of how, yes, his real name's Theodore, but he really hates that he hates being and, called Theodore. It's and Ted. What an awkward monologue. It just felt like there were some sentences missing he, or he something also, like that. Like, he also acts really shocked at the guy. He's like, I don't know how you know my name's Theodore. It's like, cause, yeah, yeah. cause you're Ted. Like there's only like two different names that Ted can right. be short for. So it's like a 50, 50 chance. It's either Theodore or Eddie or Edward, yeah. you know? Um, and, and, but how it gets incensed, because it's like, he goes like, uh, he says, uh, well, yeah, first of all, she says to him, uh, we play this game all the time. If you play by the rules, you won't get hurt. Which, so basically, just pulling him into this thing against his will, but oh, maybe that's what gets them off as a couple. Like, ooh, pulling into this person who who doesn't know what's happening, I, I guess. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Um, Which, but not okay. <laughs> don't yeah, do that. Yeah, not, not fucking okay. Um, but he talks about how... He, he, uh, the, the dude Siegfried as we as it turns out his name is the guy with the gun mm-hmm. talks about how he had a buddy named Teddy and and he says like oh I, I used to like when she would nibble on my wife's ear how about you come over and nibble on her ear now and it's just the way that they get to these scenes is so contrived it's just like what? Why do you want? It's, like, yeah, it's weird. I guess I was to be like, oh, you, you you played with her before, so why don't you do it now as I'm watching? Oh, you son of a bitch. But. I think that the idea of, and also I will say also in the screenplay, the biggest difference with this scene is that there's a lot more of the husband. Like there is some that was kept because like he kisses him and there's all that, but there's a lot more of the husband struggling with his sexual orientation in this um, in a way that just it feels really like, oh, and he's gay. Isn't that weird? Like, just and that's another weird fucked up thing. He's gay. Right, um, right. And it, it was kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and- I think like the idea, I think this potentially could have been a decent segment. The idea of here's this, like, if you add, like, here's this couple and they're, they're trying and to spice up their sex life or something. They've got their sex game and then they either 
have arranged for a consenting third to come in and they genuinely mistook Ted for that consenting third or they're just really unethical people and they're, Mm. you know, pulling this guy in against his will and that's their thing. And that's clearly presented as they're unethical people and that's their thing. You know, either one of those directions, it could have, it could have been, but I just, it was really like, it really wasn't clear because here's the thing is like, if the idea is these kinky freaks like pretending that the husband is crazy and likes, you know, and accusing some guy of fucking his wife because he's yeah, got like yeah. a angry cuckold fetish, like, like, okay, cuckold, cuckold. <laughs> right. That works. If if you just want to play it as these are both a couple of kinky freaks or even just the husband is a really kinky freak who has an angry cuckold fetish. And so he gets off on pulling this other guy in and accusing him of fucking his wife. Okay, that makes sense. But the messiness of it comes from the husband is portrayed. It looks like he's genuinely like it seems to be that he is genuinely jealous, genuinely paranoid, genuinely upset and freaked out at the thought that his wife is with somebody else. Very insecure. Um, and and it's like it's and hard it makes to tell. Like, why is she so seem to be so relatively cool about it? Like, right. It's hard to tell where the wife is coming from. She just seems kind of bored. And it's like they could have played it like that, where it's like she's just indulging him in his fetish, and she doesn't really care. But she also seems like mostly cool and bored, but then also sometimes genuinely kind of upset and like she's trying to escape. And it's just really. Yeah. I think the problem with this segment is that the guy who wrote this segment didn't didn't like, know BDSM and stuff well, like that. Like, I mean, or I mean, you know, I I would say it's totally fine to have characters who are doing kinky shit that doesn't line up with BDSM best practices. That is totally fine. Characters do bad things. Characters do stupid things. That is totally fine. But I felt like the, I felt like the writer didn't understand, like he, he couldn't make a decision. It actually, Mm. I, I hate to even invoke this, but it reminds me a little of, of 50 shades of gray Mm. where, you know, Christian gray is, a sadist because he's kinky and he gets off on sadism. And so he like, he wants to spank the girl because that's how he gets his rocks off. But also he's really angry at her cause she didn't do something. And so he's angry. So he wants to hit her cause he's mad. And also he's crazy and fucked up. And it's like, that's kind of what, that's kind of what I got from this was that the mm. writer was like, this guy is some kinky freak who likes to tie his wife up and accuse a guy of fucking her. But also he's really crazy and angry. And also he thinks that she cheated on him and also this and that. And also he might be gay. And it's like, it's like if you, maybe if you had a full length feature movie about this couple, by all means, explore all those angles. But in a, you know, 15 minute segment, it just doesn't doesn't come off like a character. He comes off of like, it, a person who is happening to the main character, you know? Like, and he's just, it's, yeah, there's just all these different confusing traits thrown in with both Siegfried and the wife. And yeah. so it's just. And then um, uh, uh, Tim Ross character has this monologue where he's like, you know, how dare you call me Theodore because. And like I was thinking, it was going to be something to do with like maybe being picked on for his name. But well, he yeah, he, really he says something about how he, he goes to 
he goes to school. He went to a rough school, and they picked on him because he looked like Little Lord Fauntleroy. Fauntleroy, because his mom made him wear a bonnet, basically. And it's just, it just makes no. I, yeah, it, like, but what does that have to do with his there's name? There's a tangential. Like, it's like, so his mom was bad, and his mother called him Theodore, so he doesn't want to be called Theodore, so don't call him Theodore. But it's just, it's really, and it, it just, again, it was like, oh, I'm going to have this character rant, and he's from England, and his mom made him wear a silly hat to school, and he got bullied, and also his mom called him, and it's just, like, this this like, scene uh, okay. really, really needed, th- this one just really needed an editor, and the like, first one did It didn't did have it. any real dramatic tension, so it just felt like they were just, like, flap sweating trying to make some, you know? Yeah, it just, it really felt like, like, yeah, Siegfried as a character is just humanoid flop sweat. Like, he's just yeah, embodied yeah. <laughs> flop sweat flop sweat and and it's very yeah it's like and there like i said there was some stuff cut out because there was a lot more of siegfried kind of rambling about his his sexuality but yeah. it just, he says he says i won't be called theodore much less theo the thumper and i was just like it's like nobody nobody wanted to call you the theo the thumper that's yeah. just a thing yeah it's like let me like why don't you just yeah, no, I, I kind of want to, like, rewrite this scene as a challenge now and, like, make it make sense. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, to actually have some narrative, like, build, you know, heightening, actually, like, build on things, you know? Yeah, because, oh, yeah, what ends up happening is that, uh, you know, he, because of this inspiring speech, apparently, Siegfried is cool with him now, and he goes, like, oh, yeah, we're cool now. But then he's like, oh, no, I'm having a, a heart attack. Get my nitrate pills. And oh, so, after um, kissing him, which is just total yeah. gay baiting, like yeah. it's, it's the it's like this gay panic comedy of like, oh, this, the man kissed him and just got a gun, and it's it's, it's just it's yeah, it's the kind of thing that if you are queer, it's just like it, it's not, it's just it's like is that is that really funny? Is the idea oh he kissed a man? Is that is that really yeah. all that funny? It's, it's just you're supposed to laugh at gayness happening in and of itself, right? right? Like, exactly. Um, yeah. So he goes into the bathroom to get the pills, but he can't find them. So he he figures, hey, fuck it, let me try to escape. He opens up the window to try to get out. He, he gets kind of like stuck and jimmied in there. He's like, oh crap, but I'm really far up. I can't get out. Then he kind of like he feels like he hears someone like you know behind him, like one floor up. And he kind of like jimmies himself around to like look up, and he sees this guy who looks like really awkwardly like like he's like looking a little bloated over the thing. Um, and he goes like, uh, ex- "Excuse me, sir, uh, could you possibly uh, assist me? I'm in." And the, the guy just goes ice, and then burst <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's there's a <laughs> that, shot. That's a great scene. There's a shot right before that happens. I found all that very disturbing. There's a shot right before it happens of the exterior of the hotel. It's in Los Angeles, and it's just this massive, massive building, you know, like, like, you know, like 30 stories tall, something like that. And and there's an arrow pointing to this oh, uh, yeah. this this little window up on the I guess it's the fourth floor because it's room four oh something four yeah, nine yeah. and it, it says, says Ted. Ted's here <laughs> yeah this is yeah. Ted and and he's like literally like hanging out the window at his waist like from the hips up he's hanging out the window and I'm just sitting there going ah he's gonna fall he's gonna yeah. fall and die he's gonna there's fall and die really there's actually a really cool shot where you can see half of him in and half of him out like from the, yeah the, the and and he's and it's just like, oh, your legs aren't heavy enough. You're gonna, you're gonna tip right. over. And the um, guy hanging out the window, like he looks really weird hanging out the window. Yeah. And my thought wasn't he looks like he's gonna barf. Like I thought he was getting strangled or something. I thought this guy uh, was like, 
dead or like half dead at first. I thought he was like dead hanging out the window. It was no, no, yeah. <laughs> but the idea was that oh, that was the party is actually a floor up, and that's one of the dudes hanging out. Right, like, right. Yeah, I'm going like oh, you're the ice guy. Yeah. So I thought that was really fucking. I thought that was a funny bit of a. I'd I, I like that there's little bits of things that tie like you know other parts of things together. You know, like there there's that that ties in with the beginning of that skit. But then there's also uh, other things like uh, later on in the third skit where it's kind of like it kind of becomes clear. Oh, he did go to the wrong room. He went to four oh nine because I think the kids in the third skit they they call a random number. They're like, uh, think of a random number four zero nine, and then it ends up being the number where uh the cuckold dude was because they pick up the phone and you hear him say like, you know, so the kid says, hey, are there any needles in your room? And he goes like, no, just a big fucking gun. <laughs> and it's just like, oh shit, that was him. Um. But it's like really small things to tie together. It's not like a big thing, but I, I, it, I, it makes me laugh when I notice them. Um, but yeah, so he, oh yeah, he, so he goes back into the scene. Um, um, the guy is gone. Uh, uh, Siegfried is gone, and he's like, "Oh no, where is she? Where, where is he?" And he, he pulls the wife up, and he goes like, "You know, are you okay? You know, is everything okay?" And she goes like, "Yeah, but I don't know where he went." And he goes over exaggeratedly like something straight out of the fucking uh that mad tv skit of jim carrey acting he goes i will get some help and uh it, like he's acting like the fucking like Clayface from that harley quinn show have yeah. you guys watched that show recently <laughs> he's he's yeah he's doing a lot of the he does the cartoony physicality where he walks kind of like really weird he like walks all bow-legged with this little like tail feather shaking like kind of kind of motion like he walks in a way that that a person does not walk and uh and the the voice thing was like i he 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 often like he has this has this little high-pitched voice his cockney accent and then sometimes he'll he's trying to sound tough and he'll he'll drop his voice down a little bit and then well, and then once in a while, when he's at the front desk, he drops his voice into this, like, very smooth, da, 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 da. and he's speaking in an American accent, I think, when he does that. It's, like, his sexy American voice, so we'll get to the point. He's like, front desk of the hotel, how may I help you? And it's it's very, um, it's like, there's, I. it's just, I, I feel like Tim Roth is trying a lot of different stuff right he's shooting for something but the the people that are directing him are not like giving him good material yeah and i I feel like this whole movie and i mean this is like you know we haven't really talked we haven't really stepped back and talked about this sort of framework of you've got a movie that yeah we really haven't haven't spelled this out so if you've made it this far and you don't know anything about the movie it's four different segments that there's, you know, it's one continuous story, but the four segments like, yeah, within the frame story. A bellhop's night on New A Year's bellhop's night. Basically. And the, yeah. there's four different stories centered around four different rooms. And those stories are written and directed by four different uh, writer directors. Uh, and so the first one is um, uh, Allison Anders. And the second one is Alexandre... Alexandre uh, Rockwell, Alexander, Charles Alexander Rockwell, uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, so, so the, the, you know, and a lot of people have said it's really hard. Now I'm a sucker for anthologies. I couldn't think of the word 
Uh, oh, I'm a sure. sucker. Like, I like I like a good Twilight Zone episode. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I am like, a sucker for anthologies. I love anthologies. And for me, like you tell me, it's about a bellhop's night in a hotel, and he goes to four different rooms and has four different misadventures. I am all about that. That form, like, yeah, that is that is right at my alley. But it is challenging, and obviously one of the biggest challenges when you have four different writer-directors doing these things is consistency, but they still could have done a better job. So uh, the skit ends with, uh, the skit, well, the scenario ends with uh, her saying like, oh, you're you're a shit monkey boy. Uh, it's easy for you to try to weasel out, uh, out of this and try to talk all tough after you fucked another man's wife. And he, you know, he goes like, "What? what oh, yeah." Like, and why the, are you doing this? Uh, so Angela is the wife. I forgot her name. Jennifer yeah. Beals plays that character, That's and she she's playing she's playing her kind of like a femme fatale, but not quite as smoky. She's like yeah. a less smoky femme fatale. Yeah, yeah, she's fine. I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot to say about yeah, that. It's just that, like, the way it ends with, with her going, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, what, you know, he's saying, like, why are you saying this? Why are you doing this to me? I'm not the man who had sex with your wife. Like, what are you talking about? And, you know, uh, he's like, oh, yes, you were. You know, the way you stuck it to me, that sort of thing, the way you stuffed me. And, you know, the uh, Siegfried with the gun is like, you know, stop talking about his cock. And, you know, uh, he, he, what? Yeah, but I guess he doesn't have a gun anymore because he's getting so angry and incensed about it but then she starts going like oh i can't stop talking about his uh, schnozzle his yeah there's this really ridiculous thing where she just names like 80 different synonyms for penis words for penis and it's like this is funny to like a 12 year old i guess it's impressive it's like it's a little bit impressive it's not really funny yeah and not repeating them like it's kind of impressive but yeah it's just like this isn't funny just watching this guy go like, oh, no, stop saying words for penis. Oh, yeah. I can't take it. It's just like, what? And then again, like, didn't he have a gun that was supposed to be loaded? Like, what? Yeah, the the, the segment was just a mess. It was. It, yeah, and he just runs out and that's just the end of it. Like, it's literally just he's sitting there. She's sitting there screaming epithets for dick at him. And he's just standing there mm-hmm. taking it. Yeah. And, and then you hear. And then after Ted leaves, one of the guys from the party runs into him and then Ah, goes into the room. And you hear Siegfried saying again, uh, you know, well, Theodore, you know, we've addressed the problem of you not being on time or something like that. He says the same thing he said to Ted. So I want to just go back real quick and touch on the, the old bellhop at the beginning who... Um, is retiring and and passing the torch to Ted because I just remember the specific thing he says to him, you know, he's giving him his final advice and he says, keep your cock in your pants and stay away from the night clerk, kids, and marital disputes. So Mm. he has so far failed to keep his cock in his pants. (laughs) He's gotten involved in a marital dispute. And let's see if he will have run-in with run-ins with kids and the night clerks. Which yeah, indeed yeah. He does the night the kids and the night clerk. So the kids so, first. This is the the Robert Rodriguez segment, the, which is the, yeah, generally the only, viewed as the best. Yeah, yeah, the, the really the good one. And it was one of those things where you know I was watching this with two of my friends, and we were going like, oh, you know, which one is directed by who? You know, as we're watching it. And then as soon as you see, you know, you hear that, like, you know, Spanish tinge of music with, with, with the with the sort of cheesy synths on it. But then you see Antonio, motherfucking smooth-ass Antonio, badass banderas. 
<laughs> kicking it. He's like, he is so cool. Oh, oh, God. so Damn. cool. Dude, I wish, like, oh, motherfuckers wish that they were this motherfucker, man. You know, he's one of those, you know, men want to be him, women want to be with him, you know? like. <laughs> yeah, he, he is just the epitome of coolness, and he has this beautiful wife. And the kids, I love that. Yeah. The and, little and, boy just looks just like his dad, and the little girl looks just like her mom. It's like the cartoon kids yeah. where they just match based on the parents' gender. I and think there's a TV those, trope about that. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, um, you know, usually Rodriguez casts, uh, like, specifically, like, uh, Spanish or, or Mexican, um, like, you know, fully with his cast. Because the idea is, like, you know, hey, I want people who look like me to be in my movies. You know, we see white people all the time. But with this specifically, I think it's a Chinese wife. I, I, am I not mistaken there? The, she's Asian. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the wife is Asian, and the daughter, I, I believe, is played by a, an yeah. Asian child. I was actress. just like, oh, look at that! Also, we got like, you know what I'm saying? We got interracial casting. Okay, you know, I was like, I'm here for it. Um, so, like, I, I mean, I was just like, oh shit, big boys for diversity. I just did. I just fucking forgot that. Like, we don't see that a lot, right? Like, if you ever hear about any interracial couple in a movie, it's like it's either black or white or white or Asian. But yeah, and so they 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 they're going to take the kids out to a party and they get them all dressed up, but then they decide, oh, let's just go to the party ourselves so we can, you know, have some uh, you know, time to smash. Um and oh my god, the wife is absolutely fucking smoking, by the way. <laughs> she is thirst corner, Jesus Christ, she is so fucking hot. <laughs> and so like, you know, like no, nothing less for Mr. Banderas, you know what I'm saying? Um They're and, a very hot and very cool couple. Yes. <laughs> and uh so th- they they decide, hey, you know what? Let's let's leave the kids here. And then we're gonna pay the bellhop to come check on the kids, which just feels so like like okay, uh, I guess. Yeah, the, the girl looks like eight, maybe nine, and the boy is like five yeah, or like six. Simpsons, it's like, no. Yeah, they're Simpsons kids' age. Yeah, like yeah. Um, and she, but then they have this whole thing where they're like being hard asses, and I, I think it's alluded to that the that Antonio Banderas' character is a is a Spanish is a gangster. gangster yeah. yeah. But it, so he's doing this thing where he's like, you know, like, hey, kids, stay here and, you know, don't mis- misbehave. And like they walk out of the room and all of a sudden the kid goes like, man, the boy goes like, man, screw this. I'm getting out of here and opens up the window. And like the, the parents like do that thing where they like they walk out of the room and then they're like, wait, let's just check. And then they walk and back the, in. And the kid is trying to climb out the window <laughs> and they're on moment. the third floor. <laughs> yeah. And it, so it just cuts back to them going. I said, <laughs> and it comes like that, and it just does that extreme close up of his face from below, and he goes, "Don't misbehave." I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, God yeah. So he he basically has this little trailer. interaction with Ted, where Ted, yeah. and this is a yet again like an example where it's like Ted's characterization is not clear because he's sort of standing up to Antonio Banderas in a way that mainly yeah. just feels like he's stupid and doesn't understand how dangerous this guy is. Yeah, Like it doesn't come like, off that he's like tough. It just comes off that he's dumb. Yeah. So what happens is he goes like, yeah, he says, Hey, you want to make 500 bucks? And he goes like, Oh yeah, sure. And he says, what about uh, mm, three? And he was like, three, what? 300 bucks. And it, it, it felt like one of those things where like, you know, when you give a, you throw a number out to someone and then you just have that moment of like, oh shit, I, I went too high. <laughs> and you try to like yeah. make it seem like, no, no, this is the number all along. That, that's what I wanted to go with, you know? But uh, yeah, Ted just happens to remember and calls him out. And he says, uh, I believe you said 500 first, sir. And he's like, what? Are you calling me a liar? And he says, oh. 
no, but you you said five, so I, I do believe I heard five, you know? Yeah. He was like, T- I feel like, I feel like if this were just a short film completely on its own and we hadn't seen anything of Ted at all right. before this, because mm-hmm. I don't think Ted is badly written here. And I think if we hadn't seen any Ted before this, if this were totally standalone and also if Tim Roth were making slightly different choices so that he wasn't coming off like this, like sort of innocent, dumb, naive Um, I think that the character would have felt very strongly written and very consistent because, you know, it's like I could see Robert Rodriguez writing like this, you know, sort of cranky, hard ass Cockney bellboy who's standing up to the gangster and is like, your kids are a pain in the ass. You better give me five hundred dollars. And then he goes to the kids. and He's like, I'm going to fucking put vapor rub on your eyes. So you have to stay in bed like I that character felt very consistent within the segment. It was just that I think Tim Roth was trying to reconcile the characterization in that segment with the kind of weird, dumb little alien in the other segments. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's where it felt kind of weird. Now, yeah. I will say that like everything that happens in this movie is worth it just to get to the point where so you know after a whole bunch of shenanigans where the the the, the brother and sister are like you know calling up the bellboy because of this cuz oh the you know the boy decides to switch the channel to uh, a sexy woman on TV who's fucking Salma Hayek which yes. always even back then they'd be <laughs> like what that's all Salma Hayek is going to do in this movie um but yeah uh like you know so the girl calls you know the concierge i mean the bellboy to be like you know turn off the sexy channel and it's like what the fuck are you talking about it's it's not on you crazy kid you know, only call me up for emergencies, you know. Um, and this is like, wait, I, you know, I thought I put the vapor rub on your eyes. How the fuck are you able to watch TV? And it's like, we washed it off with water. Didn't you think to do that as a kid? And he goes like, ah, oh. Yeah, because he apparently he's, it's kind of, it's a funny scene where he tells the kids to get in bed and close their eyes. And, he, and they're dressed, the kids are dressed very fancy because their parents, you know, yeah, had they, been going to take them to the party until the last minute. And so he's just like, I don't care, get in bed and you'll be dressed nice in case there's an earthquake. And then he tells them a story about how his babysitter used to put Vic's vapor rub on his eyes so that he couldn't open them. And and while he's telling them this story, he puts vapor rub on their eyes before they can tell what he's doing. Yeah. Um, but then they they just get up and go to the bathroom with their eyes closed and feel oh around God. and wash their and faces this, off. This whole fucking scene needs to be seen. Like to be fucking believed in how incredible it is, which is the timing of like, you know, so the kids keep smelling something and they're like, oh, it must be your feet. It's like, no, it's not my feet. It's something else. I smell something that stinks. It's like, it must be this other thing. And um, eventually, they, you know, they call him up because they're like, there's something that stinks in here and we got to know what it is. And it's like, shut up. I don't care what's going on. And then they eventually go like, you know, like, wait a minute. Mm, let's see what's under the bed. You know, it's like, feels like it's coming from under the bed. And then they pull aside the bed and there is a dead bludgeoned hooker in the 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 yeah oh my god i did not see that coming like i was tense so the first time i watched this show i was very tense because i'm always tense when there's like kids in a movie like if they're about to be getting in trouble or whatever like i'm always scared the kid's gonna get hurt i hate that and so i was very tense watching this and i thought one of the kids was gonna like stab the other kid in the eye by accident or something like i thought I thought they were going to hurt each yeah, other. Especially when hurt. the needle comes out. Just right. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, they were, like, playing with a hypodermic syringe and all this stuff. And so the, I was not expecting the dead woman in the bed. And it's a really, you know, violent and gruesome joke. 
And you could definitely make arguments about using a woman's, you know, violence addled body. Like you definitely you make points about that. But I will say in the context, it it absolutely works. I was like, holy shit, it got me. So so yeah, so the girl calls downstairs um and and Ted and convinces Ted to come up and he's looks at the the body (laughs) projectile vomits. And he, so and he calls 911 and he's screaming, there's a dead hole, there's a dead hole. And the girl is like, by the way, the girl's been chugging champagne. So she's drunk and upset and she's like, don't call her a whore. And she's like, it decided she is best friends with this dead body in the last five minutes. And she's like, don't call her that. Don't call her that. And Tim Roth's screaming on the phone, there's a hole, there's a fucking dead hole. And so the girl stabs him in the leg with the hypodermic. And base yeah. and the boy oh and the boy has picked up a lit cigarette that he's smoking oh and then he yes yes so so this is, yeah this is how it goes down because he he runs upstairs because he sees the um the Antonio Banderas and his wife and he's like carrying her you know and she's got like the wife is just like dead back. drunk yeah yeah and he like so he like sees her sees them and like runs off and shuffles into the elevator and like jumps into it and it closes behind him so that they have to take the stairs and then like so he gets up and runs in and he sees the the girl drinking the bottle of champagne and the boy like lighting up the cigarette and he goes like what in the world and he picks up like the bottle and throws it behind him he's like what the hell are you doing and he like looks at the boy and he says I'm not going to take responsibility and smacks the cigarette out of his mouth in such a hilarious moment because he smacks the cigarette out of his mouth and then the boy bends down and picks up the cigarette again as he's talking to the girl and he says like because the girl goes like there's something that's smells he's like it, it's it, there's nothing that smells it's just your feet and he goes like no it's this and the girl goes to like move the thing and he turns to see the boy pick up the cigarette again and smacks it out of his mouth again and then he turns right around to see the the hooker and just has the, it's just such an immediate moment of just <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's not like it's like oh fuck. It's this whole end is super well choreographed, and then I don't even want to like describe any more because this really right. is so, like it, it's like that community meme where it's like you walk in and like everything's on fire. Everything's on fire. Yeah, so Antonio Banderas just comes in the door and just sees this at this absolute chaos. This um this uh. Oh my god, I can't think of words tonight. What is the fucking this tableau of absolute chaos? Yeah. And he just goes, Did they misbehave? <laughs> and, and the thing I was thinking, I was just like, I mean, how is this bellboy still alive? After that? wasn't this supposed to be a ruthless gangster who like Well, but know, that's the joke of, is know? that it's like, you know, he's the guy that you think like he says, if anything happens to my kids, I'll kill you. And you expect him to you you expect him to uh to you know, like shoot him, but instead he's just like, uh, you know, well, were they, you know, like I, I'm assuming he knows the hooker is it the children's fault, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, so I believe it's still technically part of that segment when, uh, when <laughs> Ted goes yeah. down and calls his boss. This yeah. part, okay. I, oh, wait, found... I just want to point out really quick, just the yeah, fact yeah. that the line that he says is he goes like, gets, he calls the police. He's like, get someone up here, right? Fucking now, there's a dead whore. <laughs> yeah. Like the way he says it right fucking now. <laughs> yeah, so I I think it's technically still the same segment where um he he goes to try and call Betty, who 
Yeah, in the um, Betty actually in the original screenplay appears in the beginning and and has all this like you know all this dialogue with Ted and all this exposition and okay I'm gonna have a party tonight and you need to take care of the hotel and da 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 da, da. and all we've heard about Betty at this point is she's Betty she's the boss. Um, so I was a little confused at first. I was like, does she own this hotel? Cause she looks it, like she's, I thought it was the old man, but Oh, well, it's, wait. no, the well, old man yeah, was just a long time. Just the I don't yeah. think the, the owner doesn't come up at all, but yeah, Kathy Griffin is like, she looks like 30 and, and lives in like a weird apartment and is like having With chaotic like New Year's three parties. Other chicks that uh, are playing like video games, which I, I thought was a pretty cool thing to just show. Like, you know, a bunch of girls just playing video games. Oh video yeah, because it was in the in the screenplay. It says it's two guys playing video games. So yeah, mm. it was cool. It's like yeah, girls can play video games too. Um, yeah, and Marissa Tomei. Yeah, it gets stigmatized uh, that like oh that's just a boys thing, right? Like yeah yeah yeah. Because I mean I at that, cool you see that I mean in the early nineties like that was still kind of a thing, um, and uh, I found Marissa Tomei's character really hypnotic here. I will also say. I relate because I am not a gamer. I am not good at playing video games and I just am not like super, super into it. But <laughs> I tried playing life is life is a uh, life is strange with this guy. It was, <laughs> it was, hard. well, I mean, I thought it was fun. You did like you handled the, uh, you handled the, uh, handled the, the mechanics, the mechanics of the movement. And, I just and, helped make decisions. Like yeah, I yeah. thought that was, you know, two man team. Yeah, no, I thought it was fun. Like, but yeah, I'm not good at like game mechanics or whatever, but I like watching people play games. You know, I, um, the the idea of like getting baked and just sitting there watching people play video games actually sounds really nice. And Marissa mm. Marissa Tomei like she's just she has these like gigantic eyes and she is staring at the video game the whole time. She never takes her eyes off the video game and she's on the phone just speaking like very calmly like in this monotone like yes hello okay and she I found her kind of spooky at first I don't know I just found her very, before I realized what was going on I didn't know she was just really high but at first I was like what is happening um and so Ted's trying to get through to her and, and just having this like circular stoner conversation with her and then finally she gets Betty on the phone and Betty wakes up and and they're like, "Are you Betty? Who's Betty? And who whose is this?" And it turns out it's Betty's apartment. Yeah. So uh, so so then he has this conversation where he's like going over all the shit that has happened so far in the movie, and he's like, "All this stuff has happened to me tonight, and I'm leaving. I'm going home." And uh, and the bell rings for the penthouse, and yeah. um and apparently the man from Hollywood, right? And the penthouse bell sounds different from the regular bells. The so the the penthouse bell sounds different, so she Betty can hear that on the phone, and she's like, "Oh, like I just heard that. That's the penthouse. Please go up, please. That's that's this. Uh, it's Chester Chester Rush, who's a new fan. Yeah. So it's not clear if he's a director or an actor. I think in the yeah. screenplay he was supposed to be an actor, but I swore they said he was a director in the movie." But I don't know yeah. if that was just because I was thinking Tarantino. Anyway. Because I, I think at one point they actually, no, I think they do mention him being an actor. But the way they kind of like talk about it, it feels like he's supposed to be, yeah, you're not sure if he's a director or an actor. because I like think he Bruce might Willis be supposed to be like a like an actor, director, producer, like uh, like a Eddie Murphy type kind of, I'm going to oh, sure, make my sure. own comedies and, you know. So, but, yeah. 
But anyway, big, famous, important Hollywood guy. And there's this whole arc of, you know, the hotels. And she says this, uh, you know, the hotel ha- has been in a slump, but we're going to bring it back in the 90s. We're coming back strong in the 90s. We're going to be the hotel to the stars again. And, you know, and she's just like, please, 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 whatever you do, just please take this last thing first and then you can leave. And so he's like, okay, fine. Because I think she 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 offers him more money, right? Or yeah, she yeah. just Or she just talks him into it. So... Then we get the last segment, The Man from Hollywood. And this was the one that was based somewhat on the Roald Dahl story, The Man from the South, which has been adapted into other things, including uh, an Alfred Hitchcock Presents uh, episode, which is explicitly oh, no, mentioned. Don't they reference it? Oh, in my the movie. God. Yeah. Fucking now, Tarantino. <laughs> I, I thought, so I thought this segment was not quite as great as the Robert yeah, Rodriguez segment. Yeah. But it was like it was Tarantino doing his Tarantino best. And to me, when I think about Tarantino and I think about what he's good at is he's great at having these scenes of frenetic conversation mm-hmm. that seems very like heightened and stylized to a degree. But in a way, it seems like very realistic conversation that people are just talking about stuff. They're talking about pop culture. They're just chit-chatting. And it seems pointless. And it's like, what are they talking about? What's going on? And then very gradually in the background of this, the actual action, the actual event is coming together in a way that kind of hits you out of nowhere. But it doesn't. But once it hits you, you realize it's been building this whole time. It didn't actually come out of nowhere. It's just that you don't notice it until it's right in front of you. I get so, that, yeah. You know, and and I I think that that this really shows that off. So he yeah. comes in with his his you know. Yeah, they ask him to deliver some ice or something like that. Or no, and a knife. Like it's like a couple of well, things. Well, they don't get like to a, the a items donut. at first. Yeah, yeah. He, they don't get to the items first. He comes in with the the cart, and Chester Rush, who's Tarantino, uh, is is talking to him and. Uh, about he's talking to him about this um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock thing, the man from the South. Oh, and, and I think he actually talks to him uh, at some point about the uh, about about the Bellboy movie by Jerry Lewis. And Jerry Lewis yeah, he talks genius. about Jerry he, Lewis. Yeah, he had to go to France in order to get respected, and, and then when he died, then all of a sudden, all the American publications, you know, they wanted to write uh, fucking flowery stories about him. It's fucking bullshit, man. You know. Yeah, and this is it's like this coked out just rambling and he's going on about crystal and there's so there's other people there there's a guy norman who becomes important and there's angela the wife of the of siegfried is there hanging out and yeah, then she, she's the one who opens the door isn't it because he's like what you yeah right right, right. Like, so, so with it. it's like, angela's there Chester's friend Norman is there, and then also an uncredited Bruce Willis is yeah. pacing around on the phone in the other I, room. And, and Bruce like, Willis is like on the phone and, and seems really like frantic, and he's fighting with his wife, but he's also talking to other people on the phone. And uh, and there's yeah, just a lot going on. It's just and, very, it's a very chaotic scene. Yeah, and it's one of those things where like it kind of just like got me a little bit that like Bruce Bruce Willis acting and being very like. You know, active, like, you know, I'm used to him being so, like, cold and smoldery. But in this scene, he's, like, just an actor who's just, like, pissed off and calling his wife. And, like, oh, man, I fucking can't come down there. Now it's fucking New Year's Eve. I'm drunk as shit. You know, what do you want me to do? Like, I- I've never, I have not heard him speak with such a heightened affectation in so long. 
<laughs> that it was really throwing me off, especially with the way he, you know, he's looking like the the '90s, you know, movie star guy. He's got the bit of the like overly grown five o'clock shadow. He's got some, you know, blue those small uh, framed glasses and shit like that. You know, so he's he, he's looking like a fucking you know, uh, uh, like actor of the time. You know what I'm saying? Originally, now yeah, Quentin Tarantino introduces him. He says, "Hey, it's the bellboy." And originally, Bruce Willis starts taking out some money. He's like, "Oh yeah, sure, sure." And then he's like, "No, no, no, Ted, the bellboy." But then he and then he puts the money away. And it's like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, no, don't worry about it. Because uh, yeah, we're about to do something a, a little different. Um, and then they start, you know, kind of getting turning the conversation to like, oh, you know, we watch these movies with Peter Laurie and all this sort of stuff, all, all these old school movie pop culture references. Uh, and he says like, yeah, you know, I was thinking about this and third, and and you know, uh, this motherfucker thinks he can flick a lighter ten times fast and all that sort of shit. And then he kind of, like, you know, eventually he brings it back to, like, well, let me tell you something. You know, like, this motherfucker over here, the, the black dude, is just like, I'm, the, you know, the new shit in town. And, you know, but you know what I'm driving around in? I'm driving around in this old, like, fucking car that I bought off of my sister. I want to fucking be living nice. I shouldn't be fucking living like this. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so he's like, I'm Hollywood's new star. This is what I'm driving. And he says, but but look at this shit. And he shows him uh, this magazine. Look at this shit. And it, this description is so awkward. He was like, look at this shit. And, like, this is what I should be driving. A 1964 nigger red ragtop Chevy Cheville I'm like a nigga red yeah Darren Deere is like, like dude it's just compulsive with him it's like you, right. you had like, to dude, slip stop. that in there you had yeah. to you had well, to get it's it in the black guy saying it so it's okay it's, it's like, yeah at least, at least it was the black character saying yeah. it but still it was just like was that necessary dude yeah, he just yeah. goes so out of nowhere yeah 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 um but yeah, he goes like, so, you know, basically like, I want this car, and Quentin Tarantino's character has that car. And I didn't, you know, he said like, it, but, you know, this car means something to me just as much as, uh, you know, my friend's pinky means something to him. So what we figure is, you know, if he can flick this lighter 10 times fast, you know, uh, uh, he gets to get my car. But if he can't do it, you know, we uh, we get someone to cut off his pinky. But, you know, of course, we're famous people. We can't be known for being the people who cut off someone's pinky. So we figure we hire someone who doesn't know anybody, has no attachment, isn't drunk, and, you know, he could do it for us. And it's just such a, like... I The build-up to this at first, because I was not familiar with the story originally, and I thought that Tim Roth was going to... that They were going to try and hack off one of Ted's fingers at first. Mm. Like I thought as soon as they're coming up with the twine and the like very sharp knife. And at first I was going like, Oh God, they're going to cut Ted. They're going to cut Ted. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so they convinced Ted to, cause at first Ted, like he senses danger. He's like, Oh no, no more crazy people tonight. I got to get out of here. And he yeah, starts yeah. to leave and, and yeah, they convince him to stay and listen to the pitch. And then he's like, and I, this is, I, you know, I keep bringing up the screenplay because to me it's very interesting to see where they changed things in the actual production. In the original screenplay, it called for uh, a montage of all the craziness that had happened so far that night before he decides to accept. And maybe they were even originally planning to do that when they shot it. But I love the way it ends up where we just see Ted kind of thinking for a second and then going, okay, with yeah. a big smile on his face. <laughs> And it's, it's just, like because they promise him money. Like, well, if you do this, look at this cash that we're putting out in front of you. This is gonna be yours. Now, this thing is happening tonight either way, but you could be the person who just happens to get the money while this is happening. You know, like, yeah. Right. It's very, it's very slick, and it's very like I think another thing Tarantino is good at is these monologues where an idea is presented that's kind of sticky like that. Like the idea in this that's sticky is you know, you're going to, this night is so weird. You're going to remember it forever. 
you might as well be remembering it with a thousand dollars. And right, right. Um, and so he agrees, and the the next bit is just beautifully shot, like just so well shot and oh, edited. They have the camera above things. It's, and it's like got the ca- it, yeah. so. And and I and I love the timing on this. So the Zippo, by the way, this is about a Zippo lighter. If you've ever used an old Zippo, um, I gave you I gave you that Zippo I got, didn't I? Because yeah, I, I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm not going to use that much. I don't like smoking. But did you have you used that at all? Uh, well, it is kind of uh, because I, I I smoke bowls, and so it's like a little yeah. Because like, you know, it's a whole it. thing too, where you gotta like keep the you gotta yeah, like refill yeah. it and so often. So it's like you know, it's a thing, but. Um, but yeah, so like a Zippo, like you can, sometimes you like have to kind of strike it a couple times for it to actually catch. So the the challenge is he's yeah. got to strike it 10 times in a row. And I feel like a lesser director would have had him strike it, you know, successfully several times and like ratchet up the tension and like, right. you know, is he going to make it to 10? Is he going to make it to 10? And would have dragged it out. And instead we're close up on the lighter and the first fucking time it doesn't light <laughs> and instantly like no hesitation, Ted clap brings down the <laughs> knife on his pinky on the block. And we just hear, and it's just, it is beautiful. It's like a dance. It's like, click click fizzle chop and then ted just sweeps all the cash off the counter in one hand and the music starts and it's this it's a vertigo go so the the duty dad and dad and duty kind of music like this little plinky like music starts up again 90s uh, jazz yeah, it's, yeah, I looked up some more about this group. It's really the group is called Combustible Edison, and they were apparently uh, f- a big part of the Neo Lounge explosion. Oh, that was sure, a thing that in was the huge 90s. in the nineties. Yeah, the, uh, it kind of bled into the sky like the Jerry Poppin. Yeah, it's and definitely swing and big band. Yeah, yeah, because it was definitely like a nostalgia thing. So anyway, so so mm. he so. It's click, fizzle, chop, sweep, and then he just pops up and the music starts and he does his like weird little booty shake and walk yeah, down the hall to the editor. screaming his head off. Like, and it's ah! everybody, no, right, Norman's screaming, everybody's running around, oh my God, oh my God. And Ted just, you know, just does his little walk down to the elevator, <laughs> opens the door, gets on the elevator, strikes a little pose, and the doors close, and he and the elevator goes down. And meanwhile, we're seeing everybody else just like scram, like the uh, Chester Norman and uh, and Bruce Willis's oh, character, yeah. <laughs> uh, just running into the hall. They've got a bucket of ice. They got the finger, and then they drop the finger. They drop the yeah. bucket of ice everywhere, and they're scrambling and they're screaming and they're crying. And Norman's like holding his hand and like screaming and crying. And Angela is just kind of like wandering around, like okay. Um, and it's just this scene of just beautiful utter chaos in the hallway when Ted has just cleanly made his escape. And like yeah, I said, the original cash and gets out of this nonsense. Right. And it's just, <laughs> just it's, like, <laughs> it's like a dance. It's beautiful. And the screenplay originally has this kind of like a long denouement of like, Ted getting out and go, Ooh, what a crazy night I had. And it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, that no, ending was just, just like, uh, was like, just perfect. Yeah, you can feel that I'm done with this. Yeah. <laughs> the way it's delivered, you know? Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And anybody who's ever worked like an all night shift. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, overall, like a middling experience. Uh, like I said, Rodriguez I is the best. Definitely worth okay. a, I think it's definitely worth a watch. It I is, think it's worth a watch with friends. Just yeah. to like have those collective Defi- moments of like, what? Is oh, right yeah, now? yeah. Like I was watching it with Jackie. Like definitely watch it with at least one other person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you want to you be able to go like, what? What? <laughs> to somebody. You don't want to be sitting there just going, what? In your yeah. living room by yourself. <laughs> Looking like a madman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but no, but yeah. it was it was fun. And it's like, I, and I got to say, like, I, like I said, I have a weakness for anthologies. And even though anthologies also are, you know, tricky, they're hard to pull off. And this one has a lot of flaws. But I I admire Tarantino because he was just coming fresh off of Pulp Fiction, right? This was right after Pulp Fiction. And he chose to get together because two the um, I think Robert Rodriguez was already pretty successful at that point. But um, Mm -hmm. the first two, especially the second guy, like he I think had a short film in a short in a film festival or something. These were not big name directors. And the fact that Tarantino was like, you know what? I'm going to take some of my friends and give them a shot to like help make something cool. Like yeah. that is, that is commendable, very commendable. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. But, um, you know, all right. I, I think, I think we can wrap this up. I think we said all we need to say. I think we have. Yeah. Give it a watch. Watch it with a friend. Thank you so much for uh, listening. This has been the Review A New Podcast. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can go to the Kofi or the Patreon. Uh, you know, look forward to the next episode we're going to be doing, uh, which I cannot remember offhand because we usually alternate between requests. But I think lately, because these uh, last two have been like, you know, movies with other directors, we, we just kind of hit them back to back just to be like, oh, snap, they won't be expecting this one. Uh, so, yeah, and, you know, we, we, we've been doing unconventional shit since the beginning, right? When we started off... You know, doing the uh, Clerks TV show and the weird live TV show they try to do. You know, so yeah, we're we're always coming at you with the with with some shit you don't expect. So you know, who knows what's coming up next? Maybe we'll do the next Quentin Tarantino. Maybe we'll uh, take a request. We're probably just gonna take a request. But uh, the point is, come back next time you hear for when we do. Uh, God damn it! Um, but until then, this has been the Review a New Podcast. Uh, I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And I'm gonna finger bang bang you into, into my, my life, yeah, girl. Like you like to finger bang, and that's all right. right. Why is I'm that the outro? Remember, get some finger chopped off at the end. Oh, <laughs> finger, <laughs> finger. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Oh uh, yeah.